The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. to get into the word. I know many of you probably have uh, Father's Day plans in one way, shape, or form, so I want to, uh, uh, to move into the word quickly here. A few things that we're going to find as we get into the scripture is, uh, one, God's invitation to you. I mean, God gives an invitation. It's, uh, it's, it's very clear that he's inviting you. In fact, the word welcome is used. He's welcoming us into something, and it's good to see what that is in the scripture. Uh, another thing that we're going to find as we get into the word is why Jesus came. I mean, the word says that he emptied himself, that he came to the earth, and obviously around Christmas time we're always celebrating his birth and, and those uh, wonderful pieces of history. We're going to find out why it is that he came. Another way that you could say that is what is his purpose, and we'll see what that is in the scripture. Uh, and then a third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus has a monopoly on. I mean, monopoly is a weird word. When I think monopoly, I think of the board game, but it basically means he's got it all. There's no other place that you can go to get it. He controls it from start to finish. He holds a monopoly on something very specific. Uh, so I want to get into the word here. I'll give you a passage of scripture that we're going to use as our base, and it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, and we're going to read here. Now, one of the things that we're going to find here, and, and it's not any big surprise, is God's going to identify himself as our father and us as his children. It's a wonderful thing to, to realize what's going on uh, through that invitation. We'll read the passage here, and then we'll talk about a couple of elements uh, as we move forward. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Now, it's God speaking here, and he's speaking to you. He says, I will dwell among you. I'll walk among you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me. Uh, it's a great thing to, to consider this invitation. This passage of Scripture actually was in, included in last week's message for different reasons. With today being Father's Day, it's a great uh, base for today's message. But the idea that there is an invitation for this relationship is a really fantastic thing to consider. <clears throat> I mean, I want you to just think about an invitation and what an invitation really means. I mean, invitation is free from obligation, right? This is an invite. God is saying, I am inviting you to this relationship. I'm inviting you into this fellowship. That's pretty liberating to know that you're wanted. That this invitation is something that God is not obligated to do for any reason. There's no obligation on his part. It's not owed. It's not something that's being done mechanically, but rather it's something that's done relationally. That this invitation is something that would reveal God's desire and his, his wants. He wants relationship with you. Then the idea that he's identifying what that relationship is. That relationship could be anything. That relationship could have been master and slave. That relationship could be anything that could be uh, uh, identified through the words. But yet God has chosen to identify with words father and son or daughter. 
that relationship's wonderful in so many ways. It's loving in, in unconditional ways. It is, is powerful. There's influence in every way imaginable. And you see this, this intentional relationship being extended to us. I want to look there at, at the idea of what we're being instructed to do. I mean, that first thing is be separate. Now, there have been times where I have felt a little odd. Have you ever felt odd? Like you just maybe feel like you don't belong, and that can be an uneasy feeling. But the reality is God has called us to be separate from the rest of the world. I mean, that separation isn't meant to be uh, driven by legalism or, or standards where we create a mold that we're required to fit into, but rather it's the following of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There are things that I will do. There are things that I won't do. There are places I will go, I won't go. There are things that I'll participate in, things I won't participate in. All being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that means I'm separate from what's going on around me. I need to, first of all, be okay with that. The idea that that's a normal thing for the believer to be separate. And then that call to not touch the things that are unclean. Not a legalistic call, but rather, once again, a call to be led by the Holy Spirit to participate in the things that are right and to avoid the things that aren't. I mean, this invitation is an invitation that comes with those instructions. And the word welcome is used, which is really awesome in the sense that it is a, a word of delight. That it's not just simply, hey, if you do these things, we'll work out something. It's not something done with any hint of sarcasm and again, no obligation, but rather it's a desired outcome that you be in a relationship with God, him as your father and you as his child. So I want to talk about the father and, and child relationship. Now, for me, I have an earthly father, and so that's a father-son relationship. And, and I want to give you a couple of things, a few things, actually, that are, are takeaways from that relationship. Uh, I, my father, some of you know my dad. My dad was here for years uh, uh, working uh, in this community at Champions Church and, and had done a, a lot of, of things here. Uh, he's now uh, moved on and doing other things. But there are some things that he taught me in my childhood that really had an impact. And what's amazing is I'll see that they're biblical in their, their foundations. So I want to pull from the things that I learned from my father and I want to, to address the biblical nature of those things, and see if we can't uh, uh, grow in some fatherly wisdom together this morning. Uh, so when I was a child, my father taught me these three things. The first thing that we're going to talk about is how you get it is how you keep it. How you get it is how you keep it. Now what's really funny is a lot of these lessons were learned in, in trivial things. You know, when you're young, you get to learn things kind of the easy way. So maybe it's learned through, uh, uh, you know, trading baseball cards or through your first job or something like that. But these lessons, when you apply them to your life, can be applied throughout your life as the, the stakes get higher, as the, the work becomes more intense, as, as the, the payoffs become greater. But how you get it is how you keep it was one of the things that I was taught. Now, the, the context of this was, was to do things right. Basically, what he was saying, if you accomplish something through uh, deception or through cheating, then you're going to have to maintain it through deception and cheating. How you get it is how you keep it. 
And it was a, a lesson that was meant to lead me into the, the position to do things right from the beginning so that it might stay right uh, throughout the existence of the circumstance or the situation, whatever it was that was being accomplished. Now, this is interesting when you apply it to a, a biblical standard because there's so much of the scripture that is uh, focused on the origin of how we obtain things, how we get things. And at the base of every Christian origin for anything obtained from God is going to be faith. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Romans. Romans chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. It reads like this, Therefore we have been justified through faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. Now, I mean, sometimes when we read the scripture, it's not really how we speak. What's being said here is everything that we have as it concerns God's grace is coming through faith in Jesus Christ. How we get it is how we keep it. Faith in Jesus Christ is how I step into God's grace Faith in Jesus Christ is how God's grace is manifest in and through my life on a daily basis. Now, I'm not telling you this to, to instruct in any way, shape, or form the need to, to focus on these things as a necessity, but rather to prevent from falling into the trap of focusing on anything else. My wife is smiling at me because I'm sweating like an animal up here. It's not funny. I'll trade you spots. Faith in Jesus Christ is how we're going to keep the things in our lives. Now, there's a temptation to, to step outside of that. There have been times where I have, have been tempted to lean on my own strength or to lean on my own uh, ways to, to step out of where I have a conviction and do things another way in order to obtain the result that I desire. And honestly, it can be hard sometimes to put the brakes on that and to simply trust in God that it will continue in the way that it was originated. Faith in Jesus is where it starts, and that's how we'll continue to grow and expand. Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 8, or excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 read like this. By grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, but rather it's a gift from God, not as a result of works or labors, so that no one can boast. I mean, you could look at this from a couple of different ways. You could look at it as God has set this up so that only he gets the glory. And honestly, that's a great way to look at it. At no point in time will I ever be able to take credit for anything righteous in my life. It's 100% a free gift from God. Another way to look at this is to come into that understanding that where we are in need of, of righteousness and the provision from heaven, it will have no other source than God's uh, grace through faith, his free gift. And this is a liberation. It protects us from striving and trying to do things through other means in order to accomplish something that can never be accomplished but by God's grace. How you get it is how you keep it. And in our lives, keeping with the faith, keeping with the call to function and operate as believers, to keep our lives according to God's word, will be keeping with Jesus. Trusting in God's goodness and his free gift. Now, Jesus makes this really clear. I mean, I grew up in an environment that was uh, very 
progress-oriented. Another word for it is prosperity, and you'll hear that. And I believe that God's very interested in the prosperity of his people. So I grew up in, in, a, in a church environment that always uh, was, was very heavy in preaching leadership and, and preaching in the things that, that you could accomplish and the freedom from limits and boundaries. And really and truly, those are wonderful messages. You'll hear me say nothing negative about those things. But I've often joked that, that you know, Jesus would instruct us uh, to follow him. You know? and, and if I went into the, the Christian bookstore and I asked them, where is your section on leadership? Well, they would point to shelf after shelf of books on leadership. And if I said, well, where's your section on following? They, they'd probably look at me like, you, you're in the wrong bookstore, buddy. We love the idea of leading, but we don't really focus on the call to follow. And really, Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, means to follow Jesus. Well, we also deal with that as it concerns accomplishments. I mean, I remember a, a young child who was running and, and, and doing whatever he wanted, and his mother stopped him and said, son, you can't do that. And he said, yes, I can. And of course, the mom now realized we have a, a challenge here. And she says, son, why would you say that? And then he quoted to her, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well... It's interesting. I mean, we focus on that we have no limits, no boundaries. We can do all things. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says and see if this sounds a a little bit contrary to that loose concept. I mean, Jesus, keep in mind, he's the same one who would say all things are possible, also says this in John 15, 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will be fruitful. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That's pretty powerful, an absolute statement. It doesn't say, apart from me, things will be tough. It doesn't say, apart from me, you know, your productivity may slow down a little bit. It literally says, apart from me, you can't do anything. That's really worth focusing on. I mean, to me, that's a passage of Scripture that gets highlighted or underlined or circled or a little star by it. Because I want to be productive. Now, there are times in my life where I I don't feel very productive, and I have to ask myself, based on this scripture, am I plugged into Jesus right now? How I get it is how I keep it. Now, I've come into Christianity, but am I still plugged into Jesus? Am I trusting in him? Am I doing this through him? Am I doing this for him? Or have I separated, and that's the reason why there's a hang-up here with this productivity. I mean, Jesus says the same thing, applying it to himself. And you'll find that in the Gospel of John in about chapter 5, somewhere in the middle, you know, verse 19 or 20. Jesus is talking, and he's talking about his relationship with the Father. He says that he does the things that he sees the Father doing, that that he, he can only do those things, that outside of that, he can do nothing. It's pretty interesting to see that we have this set in front of us, this call to to be fruitful, this call to produce, this call to function and be prosperous. But this call is very much connected to an origin. That origin is God, to stay connected to God, to do things under the right influence, for the right reason, for the right purpose, in the right authority and in the right power. How you get it is how you keep it. If we get things through honesty and truth, if we get things uh, through the light, then we keep them through honesty and truth and the light. 
If we get things through compromise, if we get things through settling, if we get things through unrighteousness, then that is how it will be sustained. You can apply this to anything. You could apply it to relationships. You could apply it uh, to business. You could apply it to anything that is involved or connected to your life in any way. But it's a lesson that I learned from my father that I value today, and I see it in the scripture. How you get it is how you keep it. Now, here's another thing that, that I learned from my dad. Now, this one, I actually remember when it happened. I remember uh, saving up uh, all of, of my money for a long time. I have a, a brother. He's a little bit older than I am, and he had saved up some money, and we pulled it together, and we were going to, to make this purchase. Now, this was a sports card that we wanted to purchase. Not a sports car, a sports card like memorabilia, a collectible item, right? Well, at the time, you know, this was a, a hobby that we had, and this sports card had a, a, a value attached to it. It was worth, you know, X amount of dollars, and we had saved up all of our money, and we were about to go and spend all of our money on a piece of cardboard with a person's picture on it. And now this was interesting because my father looked at this piece of cardboard with a person's picture on it, and he saw cardboard. That's what he saw. He saw maybe, you know, a half a cent worth of paper. <laughs> and we were about to spend our, our summer's earnings to buy this thing. And when he asked us, you know, he, he wasn't controlling in this situation at all. He just simply said, hey, listen, you guys can do that if you want. But why do you want to spend all of your money on this card? Well, I remember the, the first thing that came out of our mouths, that's me and my brother, we, we, we declared it's worth. Well, it's worth, you know, so much money. And this was his response to that. This is the lesson that has stuck with me. He said, son, something is only worth what someone will pay for it. Now, that's an interesting lesson. It's helped me. Now, th there are good deals. There are great deals. You can buy something and, and, and get a good price on it and it have you know, an expressed value of, of higher than what you paid for it. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as, as equity. What I'm saying is this principle that something is worth what is paid for it is really worth taking a look at. And when you begin to look in the scripture at this concept, it, it's really a wonderful and powerful thing to consider. I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here. I mentioned to you that we were going to find out, you know, the purpose of Jesus let me give that to you now from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It reads like this. The Son of Man, now that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' purpose in coming was to serve. Well, that's another thing, you know. I mean, I grew up in, in church environments that that were constantly uh, uh, stirring in my heart to, to serve God. And, to, to, and, and that's a great thing to have stirred. I mean, you'll see that throughout the scripture. But it's an interesting thing to see that Jesus came to serve me. Not that I'm his master and he's my servant. He's my king, but yet his heart is to help me, to raise me up, to lay down his own life so that I might live. He did not come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Ransom's an interesting thing. It's a price paid. Jesus paid a price for my life as an act of service to me. Revelations 5.9 reads like this. 
Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the book and break the seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. That includes Texas. Hallelujah. Jesus, with his blood, purchased me. Paid the ransom for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 reads like this. You have been bought with a price. I mean, I understand this language because I, I, I live in the world and, and we have buying and selling. The idea that a price was paid for me to be obtained, to be redeemed, to be delivered or ransomed is a concept that I'm really familiar with. I mean, we don't really use these words, but for about $3.99 you could go and you could ransom a box of Cheerios from the shelf at Dollar General. An exchange is made, a price is paid, and the item is secured. A price was paid for you, and you were secured. Now, how does this tie to the lesson that my dad taught me? Well, it, it, it ties if we consider this. If something is only worth what someone will pay for it, God has revealed to you your worth. You're worth the blood of Jesus. You are worth the highest price that could possibly be named and paid. And when we come into an awareness of what our worth is, it's very liberating. It's, it's, it will set us free from feelings of inferiority and worthlessness and depression and fear and anxiety. In fact, throughout the scripture, you see Jesus identify worth as, as the separation from a life of, of fear. When he addresses issues of fear, he'll say, fear not. Don't you know your worth? And in this situation, as we consider the price that was paid for us, we're left understanding and knowing that there could not be a higher price paid for us. Absolutely impossible. No higher price could be named. No higher price could be paid. Your worth has been set and written in the heavens. And I've said this before, but it's worth saying here. I remember before I was born again, my brother became a Christian before I did, and we worked in the same region. We didn't work for the same people, but we were both in agriculture. And there was some uh, work that I would help him with and some work that he would help me with. And, and he was transitioning and needed some work, so I asked him to come on as a hand and, and do some things for us. And, and he came to pick me up in his truck. Now, remember, he became a Christian before me, so he would pull up in his truck in the morning and... and I would walk out the door. I'd probably already be a little upset because he's probably running late, you know. Anyone who knows my brother knows exactly what I'm talking about. I'd get in the truck with him, and, and he, he had become a believer, and, and so he had Christian music playing. And I remember I would just get in his truck, and the first thing I would do is turn it off. I hated it. I mean, it wasn't even like, hey, can we please turn that down? I wanted nothing to do with it. And, you know, I wasn't really just a mean person. It wasn't some act of cruelty. I look back and I think, wow, that's really interesting. I had no connection with the praise and the worship that was going on. And everything dark and demonic inside of me wanted complete separation from the worship that was coming through those speakers. And I have to ask myself, why? I mean, really, who cares and why? And what's funny is, I think I've, I've had the, the, the reason revealed to me. Consider this. Consider that the price paid for you is the life of Jesus Christ. 
The price paid for you is the life of Jesus Christ. And for all eternity, we can sing of, of his worth, and, and, and we can praise and we can worship him. When you look at the songs of heaven in the book of Revelation, and when you see the, the scenes of heaven from the book of Daniel, you'll read these words, worthy is the lamb, right? It's talking about Jesus, and it's talking about Jesus's worth. Worthy is the lamb. I mean, I consider this, and it begins to make sense to me, that if Jesus, the life of Jesus, is the price paid for me, and praise and worship is declaring his worth over and over and over again, the reason why all things demonic and all things satanic would hate praise and worship is because the more his worth is declared, the more your worth is declared. The more he's worthy, the more your worth. He's the price paid for you. Praise and worship is a powerful thing. Something is only worth what someone will pay for it. And you are worth the life of Jesus Christ. The freedom and the liberation from anxiety and insecurity that comes from that is absolutely priceless. Here's, here's another thing. The, the third thing here that, uh, that I was taught. Now this one we're going to have to... to pay attention to, not necessarily read between the lines, but you got to kind of catch what's said here in the mix, but that God gives authority. God gives authority. Now, this wasn't a lesson that, that took place, you know, with over a family meal where my father leaned in and said, son, I want you to listen. Pay attention to my words. God gives authority. This is a lesson that I look back on and I see something that took place, and I can hear what my father said while it was happening. So I want to take you back in time to before I was a Christian. I lived very uh, uh, independently, was very selfish and self-centered, and, and had a, a massive addiction to alcohol. It was a, a very destructive thing, very hard, uh, and never, never sober. I, I was over the age of 18, I mean, I was by the world standards my own man, you know, and was out of my mother and father's house. I happened to be in the, the town that they lived in. I was passing through town there, and I stopped, and I, I stayed at their home. Now, this was not uncommon. I passed through often, and, and for a long time, they had expressed concerns uh, regarding my lifestyle, the, the absence of sobriety, the presence of addiction. They'd given, you know, their advice and their counsel. They prayed for me. They wanted great things for me. And I just continued to be very independent and rebellious. I just really didn't care. And I showed up one night at their house. The lights were all off. And I had actually had a, a key to their house. They were asleep. And I pulled in. It was very, it was actually more early in the morning than it was late at night. And, and I was definitely uh, not sober. And, and I walked into their, their home. And as I'm making my way to, to the place where I was going to sleep that night, I hear my, my father's bedroom door open, you know, and you can kind of see the light out of the corner of your eye when that door opens. And I turn and he's standing there in his sleep clothes and he says, son, will you please come here? And, and so I turn and I walk toward him and almost the whole time he's talking to me, he's walking away and he's headed back to his bed. But as he's walking away from me, he says this. He says, son, for years your mother and I have warned you 
And we have, have tried with everything that we've got to lead you in the right way. And as he's climbing into bed and pulling the covers over, he says, all of the authority that God has given me as your father, I turn over to the state of Texas. Please turn out the light on your way out. I remember turning out the light and shutting the door, walking away and thinking, <clears throat> I got off easy on that one. I didn't do anything different than I'd ever done before for years and years. But from the moment he said that, I couldn't stay out of jail. I, I could not stay out of jail. I wore handcuffs four times that year being arrested for different things. I mean, when you're calling your attorney and telling them, uh, hey, listen, uh, it happened again. And they're saying, you got to quit. And you're saying, oh, I'm a different man. I'm a changed man. And then two months later, you're calling your attorney again. And you're saying, hey, it happened to I mean, you're running into this brick wall of, of reality that there are consequences for your actions. And it was really in Travis County Jail where I had been arrested and incarcerated, where, where I became a believer. I became a Christian there. But I take away from this, this wonderful and powerful thing that God gives authority. When I look back on my father, he didn't sit down and say, son, let me teach you a lesson. But as he was climbing back into bed, he said, the authority that God has given me as your father. That tells me something. I learned something that night. I learned God gives authority. I mean, I have two sons. I have an authority in, in my life over, over their lives as their father, and that authority is not meant to be lorded over them in any dominant or tyrannical way. Rather, it's, it's a, a way to reveal Jesus through serving and through giving and making provision. But still, the idea that God gives authority is something that needs to be understood and taken away from this uh, piece of history from my life. It's a wonderful and powerful lesson. And... and the other thing that I think is worth noting here is my age. I mean, for some reason, we feel like at 18, all parental authority goes out the window. But yet when you read the scripture and you look at the reverence that Isaac would have for Abraham or, or, or Jacob would have for Isaac, this didn't go away at 18. At 18, it wasn't, well, he's 18 now. And I'm so glad that my father realized that, that this didn't have a statute of limitations, that when I turned 18, it wasn't like there was no more authority or no more responsibility. And I think as we look at authority and see that when God establishes authority, that authority is real, it can open up our eyes to see and understand the world in a more productive way. I want to give you a couple passages of Scripture and we're done. Romans 13.1. This is not a very Texas verse, Okay. So almost need to see everybody's hands. Keep your hands where I can see them. No gunshots, please. Romans 13, 1. Every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. I have my opinions on some current government issues, and they're very strong opinions. I also think that God is at work. And I think that if we abandon that, if we just think that God's at work when our guy is in office, then we, we miss out on something. God is constantly leading us and guiding us in the way that we should go. Sometimes that's unpleasant. Sometimes it's disciplinary. And I can tell you, I'm feeling the sting of some discipline right now. I hope we learn our lesson. 
But this passage of Scripture reveals that, that this governing authority is something that is from God. And, and I'm required uh, to, to acknowledge that and to treat it as such. Now, here's an interesting passage of Scripture. I told you before we're going to find what Jesus has a monopoly on. I mean, understand this, that, that Jesus has, has come. He emptied himself. He lived sinless life. He, he preached the gospel. He healed the sick. He fulfilled prophecy upon prophecy upon prophecy to the point that he could stand and say, in your midst, it's fulfilled. He went to the cross, fulfilled and accomplished God's will, declared it is finished, meaning that all the creation had come to completion through the release of the redemption and the grace of God. The old man passing away, the new man coming. Jesus goes into the grave, comes out of the grave. And after all of that, this is what he says. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. After all of that, Jesus' statement is, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. That ought to tell us the importance of authority, how we handle authority, how we treat authority, how we acknowledge authority, how we speak about authority. That ought to really be an eye-opener. Think of all the things that he could have said. He could have stood and said, I have conquered Satan. He could have said, I have the keys. He could have said, sin has been defeated. But he stood and he said, all authority has been given to me. That ought to tell us how big of a deal authority is. And the wonderful truth that all of it has been given to him is a really liberating thing because Jesus gives that to us. I'll give you a passage of scripture here in closing. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions and authority over all of the powers of darkness, that nothing will injure you. This is a wonderful and powerful truth to stand upon. And all of these things are things that are in the Scripture for our edification, for our well-being, our instruction, and our guidance. They're all lessons that are meant to be learned and received, lessons that are revealed to us by our good and faithful Heavenly Father. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray this morning, and the prayer is, is more in line with the idea that God is our Heavenly Father than it is in line with any one of these specific lessons learned, so to speak. But to see God as, as loving and guiding us as our Father in any situation is really my heart's desire, that we can pray, that we can seek His counsel, and that we can receive His counsel, and that we can bring it to pass through our choices and our decisions. I want to pray for us this morning, and, and you're welcome to be in agreement or in a state of receiving however you choose to. Father, we bless your name and we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction and the counsel that you bring into our lives. I ask now in Jesus' name that there would be a work done in, in my heart and in my mind and the hearts and minds of those present to see you in, in a greater way as our Father. 
that there would be no illusion uh, to the relationship that you have invited us to, but that we would come to know and understand that through unconditional love, you have opened up to us uh, all wisdom and all authority to do the things that are pleasing to you. And let it be established in our hearts and in our minds who we are as your children, that you've called us and anointed us to reveal your nature to the world through our existence. And let it be as we take your word, as we have it applied to our life, and as we're transformed by the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would look more and more like you every single day and be honored and glorified as your children bring you honor and glory by doing the things that are pleasing to you, the things that you would call us to accomplish by the power that you would bless us with by your spirit, the authority of our King Jesus. Let your example be set before our eyes that we might do the things that we see you doing. Let your words ring out in our ears and in our hearts that we might say the things that we hear you saying. Let us reveal to this world who you are through all that we do. We bless your name and we give you thanks that you would invite us to such a wonderful and powerful relationship. We accept the call to be your children and we marvel at the honor of calling you Father. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declare, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.